Okay. Are you ready? For the word of the Lord. This is spiritual warfare part five. I'm going to give you a quick review before we dig in. Okay. Part one, know your enemy, right? Know who he is. He's a murderer. He's a thief. He's a liar. He's a destroyer. And he is out to get you. And he's out to get me. We've got a bullseye on us. And the enemy wants to destroy us. It's important to understand that. He's on the prowl. He's out there. Second, third message, know your armor. God has given us armor. He, he hasn't left us defenseless. He has given us, right, the belt of truth. He's given us the breastplate of righteousness. He's given us the helmet of salvation. He's given us the shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. He's given us the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. He has not left us defenseless. And then we looked last week, and this is going to be, again, part four and part five. Know your strategies. So stand with me, stand with me. I'm going to read to you from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. We covered this right in the first message. The word of the Lord, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Ephesians chapter 6, 15. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Heavenly Father, Lord, such an important time, such an important message, Lord God. We see, Lord God, just the work of the enemy all around us, Lord, right in our own neighborhood, sometimes in our own homes, in the world, Lord God, in the country. Father, we pray, Lord God, today that you would prepare us. Prepare us, Lord God, for battle. Prepare us, Lord God, to fight the good fight and fight it, Lord God, and be victorious through our Lord who has made us more than conquerors. I pray, Lord God, that your spirit, Lord God, would be our teacher today as we sit at your feet, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive your word and implement it. And we do this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So if you look here, notice the word preparation. To essentially prepare ourselves in the gospel of peace. The gospel, the gospel of peace, right, is the very good news of Jesus. Most of the time, uh, people, when they refer to the gospel, they refer to Jesus dying on the cross, being raised from the dead, and anyone who puts their faith in him, right, they repent from their sins, put their faith in him, shall re receive forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. And then you kind of broaden the concept of the gospel, and you can look at the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Broaden it even further. The gospel is the entire word of God. From the book of Genesis, this is the gospel, to the book of Revelation. So in preparing ourselves, right, we need to know the word of God. That's, you know, that's key. To be prepared, we, we need to be people who essentially know the word of God and are trained in the word of God and trained essentially here as we talk this day in spiritual warfare. So essentially, we have been given, right, the very armor of God. We have been given these strategies of God and every day, the enemy is going to give you opportunities to use the armor and use the strategies. You're going to have the opportunity every day. And whether you agree to that or not, you're going to have it. So every day, the enemy is going to come and tempt you. The enemy is going to come and test you. And the enemy is going to come and attack you. And that's just a fact. So we need to be prepared. So we started last week talking about strategies, and I'm going to give you, again, I'll run through real quick the first seven, renounce. We need to renounce the devil, renounce his schemes, renounce his evil. You need to renounce. If, you're, if, if you haven't renounced him, you need to. Second key thing, remove. We talked about any things, any demonic things, any occultic things that you may have in your possession, in your home. And that could be things that, again, when we talk about years ago, we go in the house and we see demonic things happening and they have a Ouija board. They've got tarot cards. Now today, I mean, it's, it's video games. It's stuff that's coming in through um, your cable TV, through your internet, through your iPhone. So you need to remove them because all these things are doorways to the devil. Third thing, we talked about respect. You need to respect him. 
You don't need to fear him. You don't need to like him, but you need to respect him because the devil is as a roaring lion, right, who walks about seeking whom he may devour. So there needs to be respect. He, he is essentially a worthy adversary who needs to be respected. The fourth is remember, right, God has left him here for a time, and he's on borrowed time. But God has left him here, and one of the reasons I believe God has left him here is to test us. God uses the devil to test us, to test our faith, to test our, our strength, to test our trust, and to train us. The fifth, refresh. Right? You need to refresh yourself in the Word of God. You need to plug into the Word of God and get energized, get empowered by the Word of God every day. And then the sixth thing we talked about, react. And again, he is going to lay traps out for you. Right? Don't let the devil get you in one of his traps. Don't let the enemy get you in a foothold. And you need to be aware. And when you see that trap, you need to react to it and get out of the way of it. Not step into it. Because once you step into it, it's very hard to get out of it. And then the seventh thing we talked about was resisting. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay. Now I'm going to give you another, right, another seven. We'll wrap up this series today. First one, remind. When the enemy attacks, when the enemy tempts, remind him who you are. Remind him who you are in Christ. So look at Revelation chapter 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So, first thing here, they, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Remind him of the blood of the Lamb. He comes and tempts you, remind him of the blood of the Lamb. What is the blood of the Lamb? The blood of the Lamb is that Jesus died for you. That Jesus died in your place. That Jesus took your sins upon himself. That Jesus purchased you. He bought you. He bought me. He purchased me with his blood. He has redeem me at the expensive cost of his precious immaculate blood. And when Satan comes, right, and he's tempting and he's attacking, remind him that you're not his anymore. I'm not yours. I'm God's. I belong to Jesus. He paid for me. He bought me. He redeemed me by his blood. I am his Child, I am his son, I am his servant. Remind the enemy of that. Second, so they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, remind the enemy of the testimony. And it's interesting because in the original Greek, word of their testimony, the word of is not there. It's actually the definite article, the word of the testimony. They overcame him by the word of the testimony. What is a testimony? A testimony is a record. It's a, it's a, a written record, a written testimony. Where's the written testimony? The testimony. You know, there's a testimony. There's a record. And if you're a true believer in Jesus... Your name is written in it. Where is it held? Where is it kept? It's kept in heaven. Right? Look, look at Revelation 13.8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. That's talking about the Antichrist. And it says, whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb. The Lamb's book of life, slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation chapter 13.8. There is a record, there is a testimony that is in heaven. And if you are a true believer, your name is there. Your name is in the record. And that book, that is the book of the Lamb of Life. That is the Lamb's book of life. That is the book, I believe the book of life. You know, it talks about the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. I believe that they're the same thing. And every person who has repented of their sins, right? You need to repent of your sins. You need, you need to come to God and you need to you know, have sorrow. You need to have regret for your sins because it's your sins that can send you to hell. It's your sins that put Jesus on the cross. And there must be repentance. 
and then you put your faith in Jesus Christ that he died for you, right? He died for you in your place. He hung on the cross for you to take away your sins. And then he was put in the grave and he was raised from the dead and he is alive. When you put your faith in Jesus and you repent, your name gets written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So when the enemy, he comes and he tempts you, or he comes and he accuses you, he comes and he attacks you, remind him of the record. Remind him of the record. Just say, Satan, um, my name, my name is written in the testimony. My name is, is written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the third, for they love not their lives even unto death. So when we, we sing this song, it's interesting. I don't, know who, I don't know who the author was who wrote that song that we sing here. We focus on the first two parts, right? But they leave out the third part because the third part is kind of tough, right? For they love not their lives even unto death. And it's talking about, this is, this is talking about the future. This is talking about the saints in the tribulation who are going to die and be martyred and killed by the Antichrist. So again, for they love not their lives even unto death. Boy, that is something. How do you get that? How do you, how do you get where, you know what? you're willing to die for Jesus. Like Stephen, right? The first martyr in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, right? I mean, he wasn't going to deny Jesus. He was, he was not going to, right, turn away from Jesus and it cost him his life. Where do you get, where do you get that type of, of courage, that type of strength? I want to stress this. For they love not their lives even unto death, you know where that type of power comes from? That's supernatural. I believe that, that people who die as martyrs, they receive a special supernatural gift from God. But, but one of the things, that, that supernatural power is essentially a love where they love Jesus more than everything and everyone. They love Jesus even more, right, than their very life. I want to... Quote to you, this was a, a, a bishop in the second century. It's a famous quote. Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna. He was 86 years old. And um, the pagan Romans were like, you need to deny Jesus. You need to turn away. If you turn away from Jesus, if you deny Jesus, right, then we're going we're gonna to let you live. And he refused. And uh, essentially they burned him alive. And his words that were recorded as he was being burned alive were... For 86 years I have served him and he has done me nothing but good. How can I blaspheme him, my king and my savior? There was a man who loved Jesus more than he loved our life. Let me tell you this. When you love Jesus more than anything, you become bulletproof. The, en the, enemy's, the enemy's fiery darts can't get into When you love Jesus more than everyone and everything in your life, I'll tell you something, you're bulletproof. The enemy cannot get to you. So, again, remind him of these things. Remind him when he comes into that, hey, I love Jesus, man, more than the things you're dangling in front of me. I love Jesus more than all the little sin temptations that you're dangling in front of me. So, number eight, remind. Number nine, respond. The enemy comes and, and he tempts you, he attacks you, he accuses you. How do you respond to the enemy's attacks? How did Jesus respond? He used the word of God, right? He, he spoke the very oracles of God, the very word of God to the enemy. Look at Matthew chapter 4, 3 through 11. And you see him, he does this three times. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He immediately goes to Deuteronomy 6 and he quotes, And then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Again, what did Jesus say? 
he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things will, I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him. And behold, the angels came and ministered to him. He used the word of God. Jesus, he said, it is written, right? Jesus here accepted and believed in the very authority and power of the word of God, and he used it as a weapon. Essentially, he's counterpunching. The enemy is punching, and Jesus is counterpunching, again, not in his stone strength, not using psychology, not using some human tactic. Jesus used the word of God. Speak the word of God to him. You ever experience fear? A lot of fear right now. A lot of fear in the church. But everybody's running, right? Everybody's running away. So it's fearful, right? They got people there, you know, they're, they're afraid of the Democrats and they're afraid of the Republicans and they're afraid of tomorrow and they're afraid of the bogeyman. I mean, they're afraid of all kinds of imaginary things. They're, 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 and, and you know what? The media plays on your, the media just fosters fear. When the enemy comes and tries to get you to be afraid, here's a great verse. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Quote it. Get that one down. Quote that one to him. He's coming, he's going to try to make you afraid. Maybe you got something ahead of you, right? You got something ahead of you that you're going to do. And the enemy comes and he tries to make you afraid. He tries to cripple you. Quote that verse to him. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The enemy will come. He'll attack your self-image. The enemy will come and tell you you're worthless. He'll come and tell you you're not important. He'll tell you that you're a victim. He'll tell you that nobody likes you, that you're all alone. He'll tell you that you're ugly. He'll tell you that you're a failure. He'll tell you that you're a reject. He'll tell you that you're stupid. He'll come and he'll do all the, he'll attack your identity. He'll attack your self-concept. I'm going to read to you. This, this is a biblical statement that I have, I have basically put together. And by the way, the verses are not in there, but these are all scripture. And I will frequently quote this to the enemy. When he comes and he, he, he attacks my identity. I am created in the image and likeness of God, wonderfully and marvelously made, created a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory and honor. I am like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. My leaves never wither. Everything I do prospers. All things work together for my good, for I love God and have been called according to his purpose. I am loved, have been redeemed, and my sins have been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. I can do all things through God who gives me strength. I am a victor in Christ Jesus. I am the light of the world, the salt of the earth, a child of God, a minister, the temple of the Holy Spirit, an ambassador, priest, a king. I am saved, I am redeemed, I am sanctified, I am justified, I am adopted, I am engaged, I am empowered, and soon to be glorified. And speak that to him. I, I, he'll come because he's going to come and he's going to attack. He's going to attack your self-concept. You know what happens is when he can get us, right, he can get us discouraged. He gets us feeling bad. You know what happens when we start to feel bad? What do we do? We do bad things. So don't let him discourage you. Don't, 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 let, don't let him attack you. Speak that word of God to him. Another, another thing. He will come and right, he'll dangle the fruit in front of us. He'll dangle some temptation to us. Maybe it's to, it's to lie or to exaggerate or to steal or, or to commit sexual sin. Just when, when the enemy comes, just remind him, the wages of sin is death. I don't, I don't want to live a death style. That's the enemy. De de death, the enemy, it's a, not a lifestyle, it's a death style. You see that in the world. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I ain't going there. I, and, and let me tell you, as a pastor, I've seen 
the wages of sin bringing death. Okay, one summer, whew, 20 years ago, I had four men all die of drug overdoses. I did four funerals that summer. The wages of sin, right, is, is death. These four men who I loved, they wandered away, messed around with drugs, they're dead. So just that, that, that's just, remind him of that, right? Remind him of the, of the word. And there are so many other verses to get. When he comes, he visits me in the middle of the night sometimes. Tries to, tries to, you know, start churning, start churning. My, and just speak the word of God to him. When Jesus spoke the word of God to the enemy, what did the enemy do? He fled. Number 10, rebuke. So remind, respond, rebuke. Jude chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Jude verse 9, no chapters in the book of Jude, yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring uh, against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Here's this battle going on between Satan and Michael, the mighty archangel Michael. And again, Michael didn't even dare to come against him in his own strength. He came against him in the name of the Lord in this battle for Moses' body after he died. He says, the Lord rebuke you. It's an interesting word. Epiramio. And what it means is to cancel. The, uh, the Lord cancel you, Satan. <laughs> you know, this is, this is this time, right? You've got cancel culture. Cancel culture in the political realm. Cancel culture in the education. Cancel culture in the church. Right? Churches now, well, you can't talk about sin and you can't talk, you know, can't talk about hell. You can't talk about homosexuality. You can't talk about these things. They try to cancel. They're trying to cancel the word of God. They ain't canceling me. I don't want to show you that. They ain't canceling me. But we have the power to cancel the enemy using the name of the Lord. Now, let, let me stress this to you. There is no power in rebuking in the name of the Lord unless you know the Lord. You have to have a relationship with him. You've got to have invited Jesus Christ to come into your life, right? Repented of your sins, put your faith in him, put your trust in him, that he is your Lord, he is your God, and he died for you on the cross of Calvary and was raised from the dead. If you don't, do, there's no power. It's not a magical incantation, right? This isn't witchcraft. People, we had, we had a guy here years ago, and he, 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 he'd pray, right? We're praying in the name of Jesus, same thing. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you can use his name. You can bring his name before the Father, and he will give to you. Jesus said he'll give to you what you need, whatever you want. But it's not a magical incantation. We had a man here, he, when he'd pray, he'd say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of, I mean, he'd he pray like, like he'd use that. He'd say it like 50, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And it reminded me, I used to have a, a, a Yamaha motorcycle that would basically, the, the way the end, it would go, that's what I would hear, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. There's no power, there's no power unless you know him. So, so look at Acts chapter 19, 13 through 16. It says, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So these non-believing exorcists are now going to use Jesus' name because they, they were watching and they were seeing Paul casting out demons. So it says, we exercise you, right? Well, it says, we exercise you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, the Jewish chief priests, who did so, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? <laughs> then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So that, that's, that's a perfect demonstration. There is no power, right, in using the Lord's name, the Lord rebuke you, unless you know the Lord, unless you are his child, unless you are his son, his daughter, unless you have been adopted into his family. You understand? That's where the power is. You're in a dangerous place using the Lord's name against demons if you're not in relationship with him. Number 11, realign. Remind, respond, 
rebuke, right? And then realign. Why do we need to realign with God? In, in James chapter 3, 2, it tells us, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able to brittle the whole body. Here it's talking about people sinning with their mouth. And again, stumbling, it's sinning. People sinning. You ever sin with your mouth? Right? We fall short. And sometimes we get out of alignment with God. We can sin with our mouths, we can sin with our minds, we can sin with our actions. Again, it's sinning. It's not an accident, right? It's not just, oh, I just stumbled. This is, this is sin. And we need to realign with God. We need to get right with God. The enemy, he will use your sins to separate you from God. He will make you feel condemned, he will make you feel shame, and he will try to build a barrier between you and God. And that's why, again, we need to get realigned. So Peter, right, Peter denies the Lord three times. Right, it's really amazing. And, you know, Peter, just a few months before, up in Caesarea Philippi, he says of Jesus, Jesus says, who, you know, do you say I am? He says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then when Peter denied the Lord, right, what was his last denial? And it was just a young girl who came up and was saying, you're one of him. I can see by the way you talk, you're a Galilean. You were with him. And what does he say? I don't know the man. I don't know the man. So Peter, right, he falls. He's, he's, he grieves. He, he repented. He went right back to the upper room, but it was for a couple of weeks later when Jesus, when Jesus met with him, right, on the Sea of Galilee. We call this breakfast with Jesus, and this is John chapter 21. Peter denied the Lord three times. What did Jesus do? Jesus realigned Peter with three statements. Peter, you need to realign with me. You need to get right with me. You need to get back in tune with me. And three times, right, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter basically, you know, comes to the place where he can't even say, I agape you, because he didn't have that agape love in his heart. But he says, I phileos you. I I love you with a brotherly love. Later, Peter would love Jesus with an agape love after he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But, But essentially, what you have here again, Peter needed to realign with Jesus. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our, our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every morning, I realign with God. Every morning. I, I don't think a day has gone past, I don't know how many decades where I do not come to God in the morning and confess my sins. And let me say this to you. I don't confess them in a bushel, right? You know, this is what a lot of people do. They put all their sins in a bushel. They come to the Lord and say, oh, Lord God, forgive me for my... I I confess them one by one. And I ask the Holy Spirit, right? He knows me to search me and reveal to me, how did I live the last 24 hours? How How did I live? my thought life, my words, my actions, and I confess my sins to him one by one. And I'll tell you something, what that does is it makes you very aware of your sins, and then what it does is it gives you incentive to stop committing those sins and change. Then as compared to, again, oh Lord, forgive me for all my sins, and then just going on with your life. But it's, it's a time where I realign with God because I can get out of realignment. I know some of you are shocked at that, my family's not, my kids are not, but some of you are shocked that your pastor, right, can get out of the line. I tell you this all the time, I am, I am the holiest person in this room. I am the holiest man in this room. I have holes all through me. The longer I have walked with the Lord, the more aware of my sins am I. When I first came to Jesus, right, I didn't have the awareness. I I am very aware that I have a sinful nature and there's nothing good in it. It's called a sark. 
looks an old man. I need to come to the Lord and realign with him. And again, the enemy, what he'll do is he'll try to separate me from God by using those sins. He'll make you feel condemned. He'll make you feel ashamed. All right, number 12, retest. Remind, respond, rebuke, right? Realign, and then retest. First John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, I, I want you to notice, it says test. The word there is dokumizeo, and it occurs, and I'm going to give you, get deep with you, it occurs in what is called the aorist tense, which is something that happens in the moment, but continues, okay, to operate. So it, essentially, it happens in the moment, but essentially it unfolds, and it is, it is a process. So when it says test the spirits, we need to go on, right? It needs to be something that we are doing on an ongoing basis, and be testing the spirits. Because notice here, behind the false prophet is a spirit. Behind a false teacher is a spirit. Behind a liar is a spirit. Behind a deceiver is a, a spirit. Behind a con man is a spirit. And boy, there's a whole lot of those type people in this world right now. So we need to test the spirits. So how do you do that? How do I know? How do I know what's true and what's false? How do I know who's a true prophet of God and a false prophet? Or a true teacher of the Lord or a false? How do, how do I know that? I'll tell you something about the church. You know what, what groupthink is? You're about groupthink? So for the most part, groupthink is very characteristic right now of the Democrats. If you don't agree with them, right, you're evil. If you don't agree with them, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're a xenophobe, or some other type of phobe. So that's, that's, that's good. By the way, the Republicans have a little of that too. If you don't agree with us, churches have it. Churches, right? You go, you go to church, and it's, it, it's like, here's our doctrine. Now, you need to agree with that doctrine. You need to line up, right, and get in line and agree with that doctrine. Even though you can't explain the doctrine. Even though you don't know where in the Bible that doctrine comes from. But you just sit there and you nod and you accept what the church, and it could be a denomination, it could be a local church. And let me just say this to you. You know what that is? I believe true churches two churches, can be somewhat cultic. Because that's cultic. I'm not saying they're cults. But that can be cultic, where they basically are just saying, hey, this is what you have to believe. And it's very dangerous. So everybody, again, just sits there and nods. How do we know what's true and what's not? The Word. right? The, the Bible is the plumb line. And if it doesn't line up with the Bible, you need to reject it. And if somebody comes along and they're adding things to the Bible, I said this to the, to the leaders here in the meeting on Thursday, something very popular in the churches today. John wrote in his gospel that there were many things that Jesus did that are not recorded in the Bible. And if all of them were recorded, there wouldn't be enough books to be able to hold them all. And some people say, well, you know what? We need to find those things. Or here, here, here are those things. If he didn't include it in the book, he don't want us to know. Not at this time. But you get it. It becomes extra biblical revelation where they're adding to the scriptures. It's, you know what it is? Gnosticism almost destroyed the Christian church in the third century. And what you have today is modern day Gnosticism where people stand up and say, God told me this. This is what God told me. Yet, you can't find it in the scriptures. So, the Bible is our plumb line. That's how we test what is true and what is not. And I say this to you. If you're visiting us here, we are a Berean church. This is not something that you will normally hear from a pastor. 
Notice the Bereans, Acts chapter 17, 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. The Thessalonians just rejected, they rejected the gospel. The Bereans received it, but notice how they received it in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. This is the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul teaching the word of God, and they're checking the scriptures to make sure what he was saying was true. Paul's teaching that Jesus is the Messiah. He's going through all the Old Testament. You come here and study with me on, um, you know, on Wednesdays. This is a lot of what we do on Wednesdays as we go through the Tanakh, the Old Testament. So this is what Paul is doing, but they're checking to see if what he's saying is true. Instead of sitting there and going, like dumb sheep. You need to check. You you need to take notes. Go back with the word and check on the passages and see if Pastor Frank, because I am not above deception. I'm not. And I've experienced it in my life. So, Retest everything you're hearing, everything that's coming at you from the media. Test it and retest it because the enemy will continuously come with deception. All right, number 13, regroup. Remind, respond, rebuke, reline, retest, and regroup. So in Hebrews chapter 10, 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially that the day of his return is drawing near, right? There's a, a, a great word, right? One of the enemy's greatest schemes is to isolate you. If he can isolate a believer from the ecclesia, the called out ones, the fellowship, he wins battles. He will win. He will begin to to win. If he can isolate you, right, he will win battles over you. I've seen one of the first things that go, a person begins to isolate themselves from the fellowship. Marriage starts to have problems. Marriage starts to go south. Marriage falls apart. The D word comes in. Problems with the kids. How did it all start? Just by by neglecting, right? They began to neglect meeting together. In the Old Testament, the story of David, it's a picture of how the enemy really so harmed David and his children and the people of Israel's lives. David... On the day, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Where was he supposed to be? Yeah, he is the warrior. He, his, David's commission, David's calling was to go out and subdue the enemies of Israel and expand the borders. That was his mission, right? Wasn't to build a temple. Solomon's was to build a temple. God made that very clear. You ought to be a warrior. Go out and kill giants. Go out and lead Israel and defeat the enemies. What is he doing? He doesn't go out to war. He was supposed to be out to war, and he's not out to war. Instead, he's hanging out on the balcony by himself, kind of bored, Right, maybe feeling a little lonely, and he looks down and he sees this beautiful woman bathing in the pool. He commits adultery with her. He has her husband murdered. Let me tell you something. I am going to be in uh, in First Samuel very soon, and I don't look forward to this part of Samuel. It is one of the most painful. And I mean, you know when you read the word, you know, sometimes it's as sweet as honey and sometimes it's as sour as vinegar. To me, reading about David is as sour as vinegar. When this, this part, this man after God's own heart, this man of such incredible potential. So when he was meant to be out in battle, he's idle. Satan has him idle. And then he commits adultery. And he brings pain. You know the pain that occurred to his children? Kids killing each other? Kids rebelling against him? It's, it's, it, it really is. It's so sad. And it's, it's a lesson about being idle. If the enemy can get you idle, he can get you. 
There are things we have to do every day. You got to sleep. You got to go to work. You got to cook. You got to clean. You got to raise kids. Got to exercise. Hopefully you're exercising. And all those things that, that we do really don't tell a whole lot about us, right? They really don't. Because everybody does that stuff, right? The atheist does it. The believer does it, right? People of all different religions, faiths, unbelievers, they all do that stuff. It doesn't really tell you much about yourself. If you, if you, saw, if you saw just my, my, my work life, my sleep life, my eating life, it doesn't really tell you a lot about Frank Lulla. But where do you go when you have free time? Where do you go when you have free time? That's, a, that, that's a, an important question. I want, you, I want you to notice in Acts chapter 4, 23 through 24, Peter and John were arrested and they were basically told not to preach the gospel. And it says this in verse 23, and being let go, let go they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Where did they go when they were free? See, in prison, it didn't tell. They were put in prison. It doesn't really tell us much about them. But when they were free, where did they go? They went to the koinonia. They went to the fellowship. Where do you go when you're free? Now, you, you, look, I'm not saying you shouldn't use your free time to be with your family. I'm not saying you shouldn't use your free time for some recreation. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is some of your free time needs to be devoted to being in the fellowship. Being in a place where you're worshiping, where you're hearing the word of God taught, where you're studying the word, where you're praying. The enemy will use all types of schemes to keep you from the fellowship. He will use, I mean, he will do all sorts of things to keep you from the fellowship, distract you with social media, distract you with your iPhone. I mean, even, even to the point, you know, we call it Zoomoship or YouTubeoship. Some of you here today, right? You're, you could have been here today, but you're YouTubeoshipping, right? You stayed home. And you think this, this is Christianity sitting at home on your behind. And part of, let me tell you something. That's what happened in England 40 years ago. People stopped going to church and they were watching church on TV. And the church is dead in England. And it's happening right now in the United States. And if you're watching, if, if you, you, in the, you in, right now, you in the camera, you sitting there. Chomping on your oatmeal and your pancakes. <laughs> you, you know who I'm talking about. You could have been here today. You know what? You're putting yourself in a very dangerous place. You're putting yourself in a dangerous place. Because we, we, we were called to be together. We were called to be, you know, I, I got so frustrated during COVID. I said, if this is where we're going. Right, and we only did it, what, we did it for like a few weeks. But if, I, I said, I'm leaving. I'm leaving the church, I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to go find people who really want to come out and worship God and serve God and be the people of God. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to pastor a bunch of people who want Zumo-ship or Utubo-ship. Because it's not, it's not what God called us to. But he, he will... Use all sorts of things. Let me tell you something that else that he will use. He will use lukewarm Christians. Lukewarm people. You know lukewarm people? I see people sometimes, they come to Christ here at Living Word, and they're, they're excited, and they're filled with enthusiasm, and they're passionate for Jesus. I look at them, and I say, that's, 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 that's been hard. That was Sue and my experience coming to Jesus. And then I see them kind of gravitate towards very lukewarm people. You know, people, they don't always come around. They come around when they, when they feel like. They don't really do anything. You know, they come late. They leave early. And I'm like, oh, jeez, that's the end of them. They're going to get, they're going to, see, this, they think this is the normal Christian life, and it's not. 
The normal Christian life is to live a life of passion and devotion and commitment to Jesus. That's the normal Christian life. To deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And it's kind of sad. Kind of sad. But he will use, he will use those things. All right, I'm going to give you the last one. Number 14, reaffirm. Remind, respond, rebuke, rely, retest, regroup, reaffirm. And I'm saying to you, reaffirm the name of Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 10, 17. The 72, right? Jesus sent out 72. First he sent out the 12, then he sent out the 72, and they returned with joy, saying, Lord, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. There's power in the name of Jesus. And when you have him in your life, when you, when you are his child, when you are his son, when you are his daughter, and you use his name, right? even the demons are subject to us. That's the power in the name of Jesus. All right, no power. You see, you see people use Jesus' name all the time in a very evil way, right? They don't know Jesus. There's no power in that. But when you know Jesus and he comes, right? The enemy comes and he attacks you. Use Jesus' name. How many times I've been with people and I've kind of taught them this, that you know, there's something demonic activity going on in their life. There's demonic activity going on in their home. There's stuff going on. I'll just say, you need just to speak the name of Jesus. And how many times people have come back and said, you know, it's like at night when I wake up, something was holding me down. You ever experience that? And I just spoke the name of Jesus and I felt free. Just spoke the name of Jesus and I felt free. I want to tell you a story about, this was in Malaysia, a missionary. And a a lot of demonic battles going on. And the people began to come to the missionary because they saw that he had the power of God and that he would go out and he would pray over these people who were demonized and they would be set free. So he was away on a trip on the other side of the country and this man came to the house pleading with him that his daughter was demonized, was demon-possessed. And um, the man's not home his 12-year-old son, his name was Manasi. Manasi answered the door. Now, Manasi is 12 years old. And Manasi is looking and saying, my, my father's not here. My dad's not here. He said, he said he call him God-man. God-man, come, come, come. Pray for my daughter. The demon is, is killing her. The demon is destroying her. And he said, but, but I'm, only, I'm only a boy. Come, come, come. And Manasi went with him. And Manasi prayed over that girl. In the name of Jesus. And she was set free. A 12-year-old boy. Because it's not the person. It's the power of the name. Right? It's not the person. How old you are. How young you are. How big you are. How strong you are. It's the power of the name. Remember Manasi, a 12-year-old boy. Okay, keynotes. I'm going to go through, read to you everything we've covered, right? Renounce, remove, respect, remember, refresh, react, resist. And today, remind. Remind him who you are. Respond with the word of God. Rebuke him in the name of the Lord. When you're out of alignment, realign with him, retest, regroup, reaffirm. A lot of re's. See, well, that's a lot of stuff, Pastor. You know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in this book that God wants us to That's a lot of stuff on So I got to put on the armor of God. I got to know the enemy. Now I got 14. Re- you know, if you notice, they all kind of flow together. And a lot of times you could be using one and basically all 14 encompass it. You ever see a mother? How many of you have had a mother? <laughs> Carolyn, how do you feel? Praying for you? Throat's good? Oh, that's right. You had your hip. So you watch a mother. I had a mother. I have a mother. She's 96. She's still kicking. 
my wife is a mother. My daughters are mothers. I have a lot, a lot of women in the church who are mothers. They are cooks, chefs, psychologists, caregivers, maids, right? Psychologists, psychiatrists, protectors, providers. You start looking at all the roles and, and they just do it, right? It's just a part of them. They do it with grace. You're called to be a warrior in Christ. As you begin to practice these things, they become a natural part, just like a mother and all the roles that she carries out. See, Jesus, Jesus said this, final verse, Matthew chapter 7, 27 through, 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, who puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, the beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You need to put them into practice or they will be totally useless to you. Totally useless. How do you put them into practice? Every day, the enemy's going to come knocking on your door. Every day, the enemy's going to come and tempt you. Maybe he's doing it right now. Maybe he's just he's got you so distracted right now, man, you just want to get out of here. But every day, the enemy is going to come. And you're going to have the opportunity to put the armor of God and these strategies in practice. Isn't that great? Well, <laughs> right? The Lord left him here to be your training partner. He will train you. He will test you. And every day you can put them into practice. And the more you put them into practice, the stronger you become, the stronger you become in Christ. And you live victoriously. Amen? Amen. Let's have the worship team come up and we'll wrap up in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord God, for your word. And Lord, the word that you've given us over this last month. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you called us and you saved us. And Lord, you made it very clear that we have an enemy. But you didn't leave us Lord, unarmed. You give to us armor. You give to us strategies that, Lord God, not only can we be living, Lord God, victoriously in our own lives, but, Lord God, we can be expanding the kingdom of God, bringing people to you, setting the captives free, Lord God, freeing people from oppression, and, Lord God, being on the offensive, not the defensive for the kingdom of God until you come. I pray that for all, Lord God. Make us warriors for Christ. For in Jesus' name we pray this, amen.